the feeling on the streets of the Hunter? What's getting under your skin or making you hot under the collar? Let's take the temperature of the region. It's the Pub Test with Paul Scott. It is time for the pub test with Paul Scott. He has been up in uh, beautiful Queensland for the past few days. I'm wondering whether it's uh, it's been lovely or whether it's uh, it's been a little bit on the nose. How's it been up there in Queensland? Beautiful. Beautiful one beautiful, day, perfect the beautiful, next? Beautiful, like perfect. Just so good. Although I'm back in Newcastle now. Yeah. I drove back down the, uh, the freeway. Uh, yesterday, ten hours, no yeah. trouble, very nice. Everything was a very good roads. Not many cars out there. I suppose people can't afford petrol. No, they can't. No, but, but it was it was pretty. Uh, yeah, no, it was very nice. Queensland at this time of the year. I'm not. My sister lives up there. I'm not a fan of going up there. You know, she just said, "What are you going up for Christmas?" I was like, mm. nah. "Nah, Queensland." After October, Queensland is it's just. But this time of year, it's very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. But it's pretty beautiful here too. Yeah, it's magnificent today, isn't it? How was the drive down? Um, You said 10 hours. Uh, You were north, obviously, of Brisbane, weren't you? Were you north of Brisbane? Look, it's from once you get through, once you go out through Hexham, Mm. you know, the last light you get is at Hexham. And then you don't get a light until Coffs Harbour. And then you've got no lights at all until you get to uh, my sister's place, which is like 10 minutes out of Noosa, a place called Doonan, halfway between Noosa and uh, uh, Yamundi. That's and, yeah, pretty impressive, one, isn't one, it? Yeah, well, and the bypass is getting done around Coffs Harbour. So, yeah, it's, it's good. It's really good. There's plenty of smokies out there looking for people doing more than 110. Really? Oh yeah, they were out yesterday. They were they were they were out and about. But most people were, you know, most people were complying. And, you know, just happy to sit on that hundred and ten. And uh, yeah, it was a good drive. How did you find? I mean, ten ten hours is a, it's a decent drive. How many times did you stop? Uh, I, yesterday, I, yesterday I stopped at Ballina. I stopped at Coffs, and I stopped at Sandgate. Play with a treat. Let, let me guess. Sandgate was toilet? No, Sandgate was fuel. Oh. Sandgate was fuel. Um, no, I made it I made it home to the privacy of my own. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit concerned. I'm thinking, wow, Sandgate, okay, he can't uh, he can't wait until he gets to the inner city. Okay. I, I made sure I didn't drink a lot of coffee yesterday. I drank a lot of I had a, I had one coffee at Ballina and then I went I went to the bathroom at Cox, but I had I didn't drink too much coffee or water because that's going to make you want to Oh, stop. that's good. I, so no old man wee problems yet. <laughs> I think that's the medical term, Michael, yeah. No, no, no. no none of those. None yeah. of those, none of those. I'm sure listeners are very happy for me. Uh, uh, look, I'm very happy for you. Uh, yeah, uh, I, ha- I have uh, elder women problems with, with drinking, so, yeah, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to bash you up in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, look, I can remember the last, what, 20, 30 years we've been working on that, uh, that road between Newcastle and, uh, and Queensland. We've only got that very small part missing now, which is, uh, is the section between uh, where you come off at um, the Sydney Freeway and, and when you hit, hit the one uh, at Raymond Dett, Heatherbray. Obviously, all of the hard work, all of the, you know, the traffic jams and the stop goes, obviously all of that has, uh, has finally paid off for us. 
Uh, yeah, it has. I mean, there's still a little bit of maintenance being done at the moment. South of, um, uh, south of Port Macquarie, actually, there's some work being done on, on the, the road now. Now, I'm not sure if that was affected badly by the recent rain. Okay. One thing I did notice, south of Ballina, at some rivers, like just junk in trees in the bush, like the, where the floods have gone yeah. through, you know, you know, things out of people's backyards, tanks and uh, children's climbing castles and that kind of thing. A real, you know, uh, just in that section between Ballard and Grafton through there. So, you know, you've got a sense. And, like, it's green and everything, you know, the water, there's plenty of, still plenty of water in dams and, and that kind of thing. But seeing these tanks and trees and that, you kind of got a sense of, wow. The water was really rushing down through here. Did you see? I mean, obviously you were uh, you're on the bypasses, but uh, you, did you see any signs of, of you know people living in their in their cars? Did you see any signs of, of what's gone on in Lismore? Uh, no, no, I, I, I didn't see I didn't see any signs like that because you know I was pretty much sticking to the highway. Mm. There was a. I did go past one place and I did notice there was a lot of caravans. Like it looked like there was a lot of caravans on this farm site and mm. that they were they were active and um yeah, I don't know if that's resulted in floods or 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 what. But uh you know, I know that, that Lismore's still got a long way to go to get anywhere back to a sense of normal and you know, who's gonna rebuild and insurance issues and this the, the slowness of the government. I, I notice if there's an inquiry at the moment, they're trying to work out the point of the reconciliation. You know, the the former fire chief, and he was put into the mm. job as you know the commissioner for was it not reconciliation? No. What's what's it called? You know, when resilience. 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 Yes. And that you know the people of Lismore were kind of thinking that you know they were getting treated in a very nine to five way by. Um, you know, some of the people were up, that were charged with being cleaned up, some of the agencies up there. And, you know, they were wondering, do, do we really need a commissioner of resilience? Like, what, what, what we've managed without one before, but maybe we haven't managed well. But, you know, if, if, if he's got some big kind of coordination role, I mean, it really should have come to the fore during, during Lismore. It really should have. A lot have. of these agencies do their own mm. thing. And know. especially when you have a look at uh, the incredible job that he did through the fires. Yeah, he was just incredible all the way through those fires. And uh, I agree with you. You would have thought that uh, we would have seen a lot more of him and that he'd be front and centre and he'd be coordinating everything. I just wonder, you know, how much political um, pushing and pulling is going on behind the scenes. You do wonder, yeah. Exactly, you do wonder that, and you and you wonder what. <laughs> speaking of pushing and pulling behind the scenes, I know some Andrew Constance is no. Uh, uh, the AEC have said uh, no, we're not having a recount, and I I kept thinking of this of January the sixth commission in the states at the moment. And, you know, <laughs> the the you know fraud, electoral fraud, just. Giuliani in the background apparently un- intoxicated, yelling out, "Just say it's fraud! Just say it's fraud!" And I was thinking of, I was thinking of Constance down there just yelling out, "It's fraud!" And surrounded by acolytes, "It's fraud!" We'll go to the AAC, demand a recount, but the rules for the recount there's going to be less than a hundred votes in it, and there was something like four hundred there. So, I mean, I'm sure he'll go off to some well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you turn up working for companies that, uh, you know, 
tollways or, or something like Coal that. Coal loads, <laughs> transporters, you know, you never know where. He'll, he'll probably end up in uh, in some transport or, you know, organisation that's looking for uh, to privatise Sydney's buses. I think that's where he'll end up. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. He won't go away, although he does have the opportunity to spend more time with family. Yes, that's good. Yeah, he has. Uh, it has been tough. You know, he's. Uh, I wouldn't have wished his last uh, three years on on anyone. You know, those bigger fires were just uh, just horrible, and uh, it really took a toll on on him. Which is why I can't believe he was even considering federal politics. I just I don't understand why you'd do that to yourself. Mm. Other than Ego. the money. Ego. I don't know about the money for him. Ego. Mm. I think uh, pretty 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 strong sense of self, mm. I think. Yeah. Well, know, but, now, yeah. I've got a random one for you. There's been lots of mixed thoughts around uh, the fallout from uh, Andrew Hornery, who is uh, the social writer, shall we say, for the Sydney Morning Herald. And uh, he was a bit cranky because he asked uh, Rebel Wilson about her girlfriend and, uh, you know, he gave her two days' notice that he was going to run a gossip column about it. And then uh, when Rebel came out and... and uh, well, basically came out herself, he then threw a hissy fit and said, you know, that's not fair, you gazumped a story. How do you feel about that? Mm, it's an interesting one. I mean, his, uh, Andrew Hornery's uh, currency is to, um, you know, to give readers uh, tidbits into the uh, lives of the famous and the infamous, you know, knowing who was at what party and, you know, I can remember I read something a while ago that he was, he was actually a, a, a Hugh Hefner's, uh, you know, back in the day when Hugh Hefner was uh, still throwing parties in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He went to one of them and sort of, you know, so somehow he's got access to that kind of that kind of world of the the uh, uh, the rich and infamous and people who like having, you know descriptions about what kind of bags they had and were mm. carrying at parties and that kind of thing. And, he, and you know, we just like reading it. I mean, it's, a very, it's very popular. Oh, you know, he's extremely popular. He's extremely yeah, popular. People, people, like, people like reading that kind of goss. You know, it's like the, the Melbourne truth of old or, you know, just tattletales on, the, uh, on, on worlds that most of us will never, ever get to uh, inhabit or even get a look at. So when he did this, though, I remember when I, I I remember I read it before the uproar, and I went through it, and I and I kind of it didn't it didn't really bite out at me that much. I kind of thought, oh, he's um, he's upset that he got he gave a, a story, and of course, in in the world of social media now, you you know you you've got your own media mm. there, you've got your own Instagram, Twitter, you can make the announcements, and of course that does make a lot of journalists, especially uh, journalists in the sporting world or in, in the popular cultural world where their uh, currency is being able to break stories. You know, I know this. So when you've got football players or when you've got cele- you know, celebrities making this, the story themselves and gazumping the journalists, you know, the journalists probably think, well, you know, that was my story. Mm. But it's, you know, someone's... Someone's private life there, it's their story and mm. how they choose to, to to tell it. I don't I don't know if I actually have a problem with with what he with what he asked. I don't have a problem with what he asked, yeah. Yeah, I have more of a problem with his response mm. to, 
to it, you know, like somehow that, you know, it was my idea to tell everyone about this and now you've decided to do it. And I don't think that the, the uh, Bevan Shields, the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, handled it pr- pr- particularly well either with his, with his first uh, uh, response, which he later attracted and said, you know, we've all learnt from this and that's good. I mean, I, there was something particularly uh, critical of uh, the Herald because, of course, back in 1978, uh, after the first uh, gay Mar- Mardi Gras, they, they printed the names and addresses of people who were arrested um, at, that, at that Mardi Gras, and some of those people suffered um, significant consequences for, for that, that outing. And so, you know, I would have liked to have thought we're, we're, you know, we're a bit of a better place now where, you know, to what extent is someone's sexuality really of importance mm. to the point that, you know, I want to break that, that story? Mm. I mean, is it, is it? Is it really of that important? I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it is. I don't... I mean, the story has been more of a focus than, than Rebel being being gay. No one really cares about that, you know. It, it's it's Pride Month, for heaven's sake. And a a gay journalist, um, you know, which Bevan Shields is, and he makes no secret of that fact, you know, Bevan Shields is a gay journalist. He came... He decided that he'd throw a hissy fit because he wanted to out somebody. You mean Andrew Hornery? Andrew Hornery. What did I say? Bevan Shields. Oh, goodness. No, not Bevan Shields, not Bevan Shields, not Bevan Shields. I retract that. I retract that. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you, it's not up to Andrew Shields to, to decide that, you know, this is what is going to, to go on, that, that this is how we're going to find out. It's up to Rebel to, to tell the people if and when she wants to. I, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel the same. And, I mean, he's, uh, you know, people have... Uh, feel differently about to what level they're comfortable with discussing uh, such matters. You know, had she perhaps not had the opportunity to talk about it with, um, you know, family, and she would have liked to have done that rather than have it read it on the in the SMH. There's, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, kind of things there. Actually, you just kind of. Triggered me there. Triggered my memory, uh, Tracy. You didn't trigger me. You triggered my memory. I was going to say, what did I trigger? <laughs> no. the, it's Pride Month, and is that it why is. the silos at the over at uh, Carrington are lit up uh, uh, as a pinky red at night? That, would that be what? Would that it be what? Could that, be why. It could be. I'll, I'll find out for you. So, so they're I, lit up at the moment. Well, in the, in the evenings, yeah, they were lit up again last night. You know, those silos over there, I mean, we we don't have our own vivid. I mean, we have we have plenty of livid around here, but not but not so much vivid. But they, I reckon those silos are fantastic when they're lit up. I really like what they do over there, and I I, I wish they'd do more of it and light up more of them. You know, it's a, it really looks fantastic when you're walking along the the foreshore and you look across there but I was wondering what's the significance of the the, the, the pink colour and then I suppose uh, that that might uh, that might offer some uh, some sort of reason mm. before it but have you seen them lit up? They lit them up in the colours of the Ukraine flag not long ago the blue and the yellow they they light them up at different colours. It's a really cool thing and, I, and speaking of cool things and buildings I noticed we're getting another um, 
this year they're going to have another, uh, you know, paint the paint the walls around they the town. Are. They're going to be more mural. Mm. You know, I love that stuff. There's another it. eight happening. Um, I had a chat with uh, with the organisers about uh, I don't know about three or four weeks ago, and uh, yeah, there's another eight that are going to be uh, to be done. I think they're just such a fantastic idea and a concept. And uh, you know what, Newcastle really can stand up on this one because uh, it is just the most incredible, and it can go ahead no matter whether we're in COVID or not. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah. They look they look great, and they give some. You know, they give talking points. I mean. We don't have as many sculptures as uh, a lot of other uh, cities, but you know we have some. We ha- do have some fantastic sculptures here. But that public art—it's just a—it's a, a such benefit to just be walking down the street. I absolutely love that one on the Bolton Street car park of the. Oh yeah, yep. Indigenous uh, guy. My favourite one is. Um, it's the the you know the two that are opposite uh, the yeah, let's just say the workers club because that's what it is opposite the workers club and opposite the Newcastle perm head office yeah. those two there man they are a gateway entrance they are so impressive and the more you you know the longer you're at the traffic the more you see and the more you find in those artworks and that's what it's all about you know it's to keep you occupied while you're sitting at those bloody traffic lights it's just it just gives a great vibe to the city I. You know, actually, I was walking down Hunter Street yesterday, and I was just thinking to myself, "Geez, the post office has gone all quiet. Mm. There's not much uh, the the work there at the post office. I think I might follow up on that and try and find out." Yeah. Uh, that'd, that'd be great, especially because Jerry's doing, Jerry Schwartz, who owns it, is doing all sorts of things up the valley and, you know, he's got lots happening up there. But that bloody post office, it's still sitting there. It's still boarded up, uh, you know. The DA, the D, I, do know, I do know that the DA was approved more than a year, uh, more than a year ago. Mm. And, you know, I know there was COVID, but, but construction still happened during COVID. Mm. It was allowed to happen during COVID. I just... I just worry about it, you know. It's twenty years. It's over twenty years now since the post office was closed. Two thousand one. Is it that long? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand one, and and sort of like you know, I just worry that the longer it sits there and nothing happens, there was so much enthusiasm, and it's just kind of like. Mm, yeah, it's just a bit worried. A bit worried about that one. It should never have left uh, public ownership. It should never, <laughs> never have left. Isn't public ownership right on the cards at the moment? Oh, yes, absolutely it is. Well, listen, oh. my, my friend, um, we do need to uh, to get going, but uh, what I am going to play is it's an excerpt from, uh, you'd remember them, Clark and Door. Remember the days of Clark and Door and we used to wait every uh, every Thursday night and, uh, and Friday morning we'd wait for them. Now, this is fantastic. You'll love it. It is from, uh, from 2017. Paul, 2017, and it is is the energy market explained. Oh, I'll look forward to it. I thought you'd like that. I think that's how we'll go out uh, for the pub test today. Thanks for your time, mate. Pleased to hear you're here, back here safe and sound. You stay safe out there. Okay. Thanks, mate. Bye. This is Clark and Dor from 2017 explaining the energy market. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure to be with you, Brian. Good evening. Now, you're a consultant in the energy market. Yes, indeed. That's what I do. Now, we've got a crisis in energy, haven't we? The Prime Minister's been waving a a yellow card all week. Well, Brian, we do face some significant issues with the energy market. I think that can be said. Yeah, but I thought we had gas and electricity coming out our ears. Yeah, we do, Brian. But I don't think it's any secret that we're confronting serious challenges with the energy market. 
Well, let's talk about this energy market. Well, in Australia, you buy energy on an energy market. You're either buying it at a spot price or you're buying it in terms of a longer contractual agreement, Brian, with a supplier. But didn't all the energy in this country, wasn't it owned by the Australian people? Yeah, we fixed that. Well, it was all owned by governments. I yep. mean, they built it with our money. Yes, that's right, Brian, but it was hopelessly inefficient. And a few years ago, a lot of it was privatised. Who said it was hopelessly inefficient? The people who wanted to buy it, Brian. How'd they sell that idea to the people who already owned well, it? Well, it was obviously going to result in lower prices to the consumer, Brian, because there were so many other players coming into the market. More electricity producers? No, more billing companies, Brian. But the key element was choice. They were being offered a greater choice. Choice of yep. what? Choice of what? Yeah. No, the watts were exactly the same, Brian. The choice was in who you could buy them from. So who bought the infrastructure? Well, a lot of that is still government-owned. If you take the state of Victoria, for example, still government-owned. Owned by the Victorian government? No, owned by the Singapore government and the Chinese government, Brian. But to answer your question, it's still government-owned. So why did the prices go through the roof? I mean, what happened when they removed the carbon tax to lower prices? What happened? What happened to prices? Yeah. Well, they doubled, Brian. But, of course, that's only going to affect you if you're buying energy. But isn't that what people are doing, buying energy in the market? Well, yes, theoretically, Brian, but you can only buy it if it's there. You can't buy it if it's not there. And remember, a lot of these outages have occurred at times of serious, extreme weather events. Yeah, but wouldn't an extreme weather event be a fair test of the system? Yeah, we don't have a system, Brian. We have an energy market. We've got an energy market. Right. Yeah. And what's gas got to do with this? Well, gas is important because the job of the regulator, Brian, when demand goes through the roof, is to generate mm. extra capacity using gas. How do they do that? Well, they don't, Brian. They can't. They haven't got any gas. But we export billions of dollars of gas. That's right. But by definition, that's exported, Brian. That's gone offshore. We need some of that gas here. But they get a better price for exporting. They get a better price here. It's a market, Brian. This is part of the problem. But surely all this operates in uh, around government policy. Oh, yes. There's overarching government policy. Well, tell me, what's the government policy? Well, uh, oh, goodness. What happened there? Well, just wait till the lights come on, Brian, and then perhaps ask me that last one again. Which one? The one about government policy. I'll try and imagine there is some. Tracy Mack on Newcastle in the morning. And that was Clark and Dorr from March in 2017. Can you believe it? Obviously, that audio is thanks to uh, to johnclark.com.au as well as the ABC and nothing has changed. Nothing at all. Newcastle in the morning takes you through the big events and the most talked about stories of the day that matter to you and your life. From what's on to what matters, Tracy Mack takes you beyond the headlines, what it is, why it matters and how it impacts your daily life. Tracy Mack brings you Newcastle in the morning, weekdays from nine on Newcastle Live.